Blog Talk Radio. Good Saturday, first Saturday in September. I had to stop and think that we have another Saturday. This is the first Saturday in September 2014. And want to welcome you all to Blog Talk Radio's Off the Shelf. But it's, it's gorgeous here in Philadelphia uh, this Saturday morning. I, I always thank our loyal listeners because we're going on 11 years, and there's so many of you who have been with us for the entire 11 years, and we really, really appreciate all of you. And to those of you who might be stopping by off the shelf for the first time, I always like to introduce myself. I listen to radio talk shows on off the shelf, and sometimes I'm like, who is talking? Who is the, who is the host of the show? So I like to start by introducing myself. And as I always tell you, I'm Denise Turney, and I'm coming to you live from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, excited about the upcoming Eagles season. They actually look decent this year. I'm not a huge Eagles fan, but they actually look decent this year, so we'll see what they do. But I want to thank you all for your support, and I encourage you, don't let this day go by without picking up a copy of my new book, Love Pour Over Me. If you value friendships and relationships and you like to see how people evolve as a story unfolds, you're really, really going to enjoy Love Pour Over Me, and I, I encourage you to get a copy. You can read samples or excerpts of the book at my website, which is chistel.com, C-H-I-S-T-E-L-L.com. You can get it to purchase the book at Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, Google Books, ebookit.com, ebook Walmart, etc. It's in print and ebook form. And if you don't see it on the shelves, all you have to do is ask the clerk at the store for it. If you want a copy of Love Pull Over Me by Denise Turney, and they can order a special copy for you because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. So please go get a copy of Love Pull Over Me and, and enjoy the book. And let me know what you think about it after you finish reading it. And now let us go and meet today's special off-the-shelf guest. And our guest today, he's been on here before. I, I love the storylines that he comes up with. And he's he's made quite a name for himself in in, in Georgia, if I remember correctly. He, he's a former sports journalist, talking about the Eagles. And I, he covered... I have to, we have to ask him during the day show, but I think he covered some Philadelphia sports when he worked as a sports journalist. And he is Julius Thompson. He, in addition to being a, a former newspaper sports journalist, he's also the author of the books Philly Style and Philly Profile, A Brownstone in Brooklyn, The Ghost of Atlanta, and his latest is Phantoms of Rockwood. Welcome back to Off the Shelf, Julius. Fantastic. Glad to be here, Denise. I always enjoy talking with you. I miss Philly. I miss my cheesesteaks. I miss walking down Broad Street. I just miss it so much. But it's a beautiful day here in Atlanta. It's sunny and it's kind of cool. And I'm just enjoying talking with you this great Saturday morning. Oh, the weather is, it seems like everywhere is very, it's very nice. This kind of weather you really, you really treasure. Atlanta, Atlanta, Philly to Atlanta. So, so, um, I wanted to first let our, I like to let our listeners know if our guests have a website because with the with the internet you can go over to the website even as you tune in either through the chat room or on the phone to the to the interviews if you have a website can you give us your website URL Yes it's www.jethompsonnovels.com j e thompson novels.com very simple i want to keep very simple people can remember it (laughs) so this that used to be a different url is that correct or yes yeah i updated denise what i did was i changed uh and i changed the byline for a number of reasons i'll tell you during the show i changed my byline but it it was uh julius thompson and that is je thompson novels.com Oh, okay, 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 okay. Can you tell us, I like to give our listeners, some of our listeners may have heard some of your interviews before, and for our off-the-shelf listeners, you can go into the archives, if you would like, and do a search on Julius Thompson to listen to some of his prior shows. You can learn more about some of his other novels that we may not go as in-depth in discussion about today, uh, because I want to focus 
more on his latest novel, but you can learn more about him in, in the interviews that are in the archive. But for those just today who are tuning in and they want to get a little backstory, I'd like to give them backstory on our guests. Can you tell us what where you grew up? You talk about writing about Philly. You're in Atlanta now, and then you've got a, a book based in Brooklyn. Can you tell us where you grew up and what, what life was like for you when you were growing up? Yeah, Denise, I uh, was from Georgia originally. Oh, and I moved, oh yeah. Originally, I'm from Georgia, not near Atlanta, a little small, one stop, one light town. And then, just imagine on a Friday, you're in this little town, segregated in the 1960s, and that Monday, you in Brooklyn, New York, uh, at Bushwick High School, a multicultural school of over 3,000 people. <laughs> so, now, how did that happen? I thought you well, know what? Whole time, Julius. This whole time, I thought you were from New York. I thought you were born and raised uh, uh, in New York. Yeah, I was raised in New York. Well, what happened, my mother had to leave the South because of uh, uh, domestic problems, which black people know about. And so she said, this is enough. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to start something new. So she took Good me. And my little, yeah, she did. She, and she took me, my little 13-year-old, my little 3-year-old sister. I was 13 at the time. And she moved to Brooklyn. She was a teacher here in Georgia. When she got to New York, she became a domestic. Because she said, I'd rather be in New York and be a domestic and working and enjoying life and enjoying my children than living under abuse in the South. So, yes. So that comes to play a bit in me, in me a little bit in the books a little later. But I was um, in New York City, and I was there in the 60s. You know, the vibe of turbulent all the time to set the tone for, for us as a people. And I went to Bushwick High School. And I wanted to be a writer, but I was nervous. I didn't know, you know, should I or could I? And so I had a great, great English teacher. Her name was Miss Egan, and she recently died. And I walked in the office, and I said, I want to be a writer. And she said two words to me that has stuck with me all my life. She said, do it. And I never looked back. I never looked back. Never looked back. Go ahead. Uh, uh Uh-huh. That is so good to hear because we've had guests on who said they actually stopped writing for several years because of something a teacher said to them. And it's really good when I hear people say a teacher or somebody took all the limits off and just told them, go for it, you can do it. That that's, is, why became a te- that's why I became a teacher, Denise, because, like you said, t- take all the limits off and go for it. And I, and I want to just tell you that as you were Saying that one word, take the limits off and go for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now you also worked as a sports journalist, which that would put you in contact with a lot of people, folks admire, and they've 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 taken the limits off and achieved great things that they wanted to do. How did you, for off the shelf listeners, I always think about our listeners who might be struggling uh, with trying to fulfill a goal? Some people would just love to get a job as a journalist. Uh, uh, how did you land, although that, that, that arena is really changing with the Internet, but how did you land your job as a journalist? And can you tell us about some of the newspapers that you wrote for? Yes. When I left New York, I moved to Philadelphia, and I remember pulling into the uh, to 33 station, and I had a job. I, I worked as a copy boy at the New York Times, which is the base level position. Ah. And so when I was there, one of the uh, writers named George Casita. Can I stop you? What, do, what does a copy boy do? Now, copy boy, Denise does everything. He's a gopher. <laughs> oh, okay, means, okay, okay. Go for paper, go for coffee, go for anything that oh, anybody in the newsroom okay. wants. <laughs> okay. But everybody starts there. Okay. So it's, it's, it's about 15 of us, but I worked hard. And so, and I did some writing on the side. You could write on the side. So I wrote articles for the New York Times. It was published in the New York Times. Ah. And yes, ma'am. And then I went. Then I. Then the people saw the articles, and uh, Casada told the editor at the Philadelphia Bulletin. And what's unique about the time, Denise, and I feel a little that I was able to set the groundwork for others, like Stephen A. Smith and the others, is the fact that when I got the job at the Bulletin, there was only two other black reporters on the whole East Coast, from Washington to Boston. So I became the third black sports reporter, you know, in on the East Coast at that time mm. in the seventies. And wow. I covered high school sports in Philadelphia, so I got to know all the Philadelphia scenes. I could talk about Ben Salem High School. I could talk about North Catholic. Oh I could my talk goodness! About <laughs> any of them, I covered them. I covered the Isles of Ben Salem. 
it out. And, and so, and so Denise, I got to know a lot of people, a lot of athletes, people heard today. Now, I know the father very, very well because I covered him in high school when he was a, when he was a sophomore and a junior and a senior at Bartram High School. And everybody going to know the last name. I know the father very well. And the last name is Bryant. <laughs> and he's wow. Kobe's father, Joe Bryant. So oh, my goodness. I Yes, I got to meet a lot of people, a lot of people in Philly, and then I got to see all the, you know the, what made it, what what made Philly great athletically, and still does athletically, and what made the people do what they did. But I also saw some of the the gangs and, the, and I saw the stuff creep in uh, that is hurting, and that's what I wrote about in Philly, how things change in Philly style and Philly profile, because Philly has a certain style and profile that I've been in a lot of cities from 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 New York to California. And you know, all over, and Philly has a certain style that other people, other cities just don't have. It's something about it. I don't know what it is, but that's why I call the book Philly Style and Philly Profile. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I wanted to, want to ask you next. How did you? How old were you? You said you you told your teacher you, I want to be a writer, and she said do it. How old were you when you started working on your first novel? And is that first novel, Philly Style, Philly Profile, and what was that process of writing that first novel like for you? Was it a struggle where you wanted to do it for years and you kept putting it off? What was it like? When, when I started writing Philly, uh, after, after I was told in high school, I wrote journalism. I didn't think I was going to be a novelist. So in 95, I decided to be a writer. I wanted to write books, and I wanted to get deeper. And so I moved. I moved to Georgia, and uh, to take, take care of my mother and my uncles and things. And uh, so when I when I started to write, I learned one thing that one writer told me that was just incredible. And he said, because I was I haven't tried to write this book for like for like oh my god six seven years and I couldn't get headway. And what he told me was, Julius, you just two things about writing a book: you cannot write and edit at the same time. You got to do one and then the other. So mm-hmm. you write and you get it out. You get it out. You get everything out of you. Once I did that, then that book came out. I remember a great writer once said that you write garbage and edit brilliantly. That way you take your words and you change them. But you got to get a base. You can't write three or four or five chapters and go back and edit four or five chapters. You can't do it. You got to get it out. It, you know, it, it, it's, it's like looking at so making an image and making a painting. You got to get more detail, more detail. Once I did that, I was able to get the book out, and that was the critical thing, getting the book out. Then once I got the book out, then I can go back and transform the language and transform, you know, what I wanted to do with it. And I learned the writing process. And another writer named Pat Conroy, who I met recently because I was a, worked at AJC Decatur Book Festival last week, reminded me of something that he had said earlier, go deeper. No matter how much you write, go deeper into what you want to write. Give the reader more and more and more and more. And to me, that means if I think of an idea, I want to refine that idea. I want to make that idea better. I want to be more specific to make that reader feel. That's what I want in my books. I want you to feel that fear, feel that yes. love, feel that emotion. Just don't just see words, but feel, feel, feel. That's critical for me, you know, as a writer. I think as any entertainer in any form of arts, entertainment, if people don't feel any emotion, they, they, it's like okay, they'll just step away from it. it, it and 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 some type of, um, I think the more personal connection people feel directly or indirectly, that can also help carry a story. Now, since you fir- wrote your first novel, Philly Style and Philly Profile, which I would love to get to if we have time today, but I want to talk about your latest novel. What right. tips? You talked. You talked about some tips. Go deeper. Go deeper. Uh, uh, don't don't edit as you're writing. Are there any other tips that have strengthened your writing since you wrote Philly style, Philly profile that you used while writing Phantoms of Rockwood? What I do. What I've learned when I first started writing, I, I was a plotter, which means I, I did chapter one, then chapter two, then chapter three through the end of the book. Now what I've learned is I. I, put, I organize now, and I write just arbitrarily 1 to 40 and have a basic idea of the book, you know, like, you know, Phantom's the story of ghosts. And uh, my new book, Stormy Winds, which will come out next year, is about 
facing challenges. So I think of all the challenges, all the things I want to add to the book. And I say, I want to do this in this part and this in that part. And so I would take basic ideas and for each chapter and just write them down. Now, once I do that, then I go back and I flesh out that information. And the key thing about I would tell writers, stay loose. What I wrote in Chapter 30 may wind up in Chapter 2. What I wrote in Chapter 2 may wind up back in Chapter 40. Mm. You've got to get your ideas out. The organization comes with editing. I learned that. And that's why my book, I think my books have gotten increasingly more dramatic, increasingly more flexible, and increasingly more interesting because as a writer, you want to develop a style and a flow. And that's what your, readers, your writers have to do is to develop your style. What make what can I use so that I can bring my ideas out so the world wants to read, you know, wants to feel. So, you know, you have to organize, and that's the key thing, Denise, you have to organize. And you got to find that organizational point that you can use that's comfortable with you. Like, I'm a visual learner, and I always have, as I was little, and a visual reader, I have to see it in front of me, so I have to see it while I'm doing this today. And I, for example, I may write, say, chapter one today because I'm feeling a certain mood. And then mm-hmm. tomorrow I may jump to chapter 30, which I'm totally different mood. Then really? go back. And, yeah. I thought wow, I couldn't do that when I first started. You're the first person I've heard who does that. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yes. And see, what I, that's what I mean by being flexible. When I first started, I would go chapter bang, bang, bang. Now, I have the ideas ordered now, but it depends on, you wow. know, what I want to write that day. Everything is ordered, so I know what I'm, what, what I'm, where I'm going. But I may feel like, no, I'm not feeling like writing like a, uh, um, a, you know, a nice tonight. I'm, I feel kind of depressed tonight. And, and, and there's some scenes, there's some chapters that's really dep- not, not really happy. And that's what I attack because I want to bring that emotion out in that so you really can feel that. Very interesting. You brought up a very interesting point that maybe some of our listeners who are writers or, or want to be writers in the future may incorporate into their own writing process. Can you tell us now, Phantoms of Rockwood, where is Rockwood and what, what is this town like? What, and what, what is, is the book set in? What time period is it set in as well? Right. The, the Phantoms of Rockwood is a book that um, is based on – let me go back to the very beginning. I taught school, and I also coached and still coaching for like 20, to, you know, 20 plus years. And over the years, Denise, I, I've had young people who died. For example, one, ki- one kid was going on to go to practice, and him and his buddy was going up a big hill – and got killed when a cement truck hit him. Another kid got walked oh. across the street. Yes, they're young, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, over the years. And one of the one of the young lady players I had. Mm. What happened, Denise, was I said, so I was thinking one night, I said, what would happen if they could come back and uh, have one more championship year, help a team win a championship? And so what I did was uh, – I said, what would happen? But I don't want to be like a really ghost story. I don't want to be like, you know, this. But it was a story where they came back and helped their old coach out. And uh, they came back, and before they cohabitated with the, with, the, with the other player, they knew who the player was, and they, had a, they knew the player had to be accepting. And it's like a positive uh, a ghost story. And, but it also tells about life. Some of the ghosts were good people. Some were not. Some came back to just continue to be good. Some come back to just have a chance to do something good and positive in their life and someone else's life. And so I wanted to make it kind of a fun book, an interesting book. And I picked this small town called Rockwood. And it's, and it's, it's really the, the, the name of the, really the, name of the um, mascot is the Phantoms, and they call it the Purple Phantoms. But to go back to my school, that's, that's, the the, that's the name of the school even before these athletes who passed came back. They were called the Rise. Right. Okay. Phantoms. And I got the name of Phantoms from a here Philadelphia Connection again, Phoenixville High School called the Phantoms. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So I took okay. their mascot called the Phantoms and the school colors purple and they're purple Phantoms. And uh, what happened is Denise, that uh, there were five talented young basketball players and they came back to the small, small Georgia high school and oh, they were say, killed... When you say the small, not to, not to, because uh, I want to hear the whole thing, and I want our listeners to, 
how many people are in the town? What is the town like? Is it multicultural? Is it predominantly African American, predominantly Caucasian? Is it corrupt politically? Is it like a family type of town where everybody knows everybody? I'm trying to get, I'm trying to picture this town for some reason. Right, right. It's a small town, and what it is, Denise, it's like a town like most southern t- Georgia, most small Georgia towns are mixed. So it's figure the town maybe like five thousand to six thousand people. Okay. And say okay. it's about seventy percent white to black. Okay. In the town, and, mo- and when you see a town like this, most of the athletes are black, and okay. most people support the athletes are white. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have one or two white people, white young men that play on the team, and uh, racism is big. And it, it, this comes out. I was able to tackle a lot of problems, but I did it in a way that that people it, it, it attacks, but it, it attacks in a way that people want to read, and then after they read, then they see what was going on. So I use it as a vehicle to attack racism, to attack sexism to attack people who are not tolerant of other of people. And uh. Uh, and so, you know, it's interesting. What I did was one of the uh, ghosts is a girl, and I, I want to tell you my story, but she inhabits the, her, the body of her boyfriend. <laughs> and really? got a lot of Yeah, it's a lot of interesting things happening. See? <laughs> and then one of the one of the players that died was white, but the, the body he inhabited is black. And so it's... And so, so now you get this cold mixture coming out, and, and, and a lot of things are brought out in the book, you know, because it's this championship year. And what happens during the year, ups and downs, the changes, how people grow. One of the kids was, and one of the ghosts was uh, that died in Rockwood, a small town, was from Philadelphia, and uh, but he got killed when he went back home one summer on 48th and Woodland, and uh, got killed by a drug gang. And so when he comes back, he, he's helping this young man who's possibly going into that same area in this small town, and he helps him see what happens, including a lot of the graphic things that happen to him. So it's a way of just, you know, some people grew, and it's a way of growing and maturation. And a lot of the ghosts have a chance to mature a little bit where they, where they were stopped at midpoint, stopped when they were, you know, at a certain point. Ah. And, and it's a weaving of tales, you know, it's a weaving of... Of, of you know of growth, teenage growth, of racial conflicts, the characters are three dimensional, and they come alive as the story progresses, and you get to know. And the thing was when I first, I was afraid. I said people will get mixed up with the five ghosts and the five humans and how they react together and before and after. But I was able to do it. Matter of fact, I got a great letter from from one of the readers saying that she enjoyed it because she could tell the difference in the story. Uh, you know how it was organized and how the how the people were different, and she could see the development. She could see the influence of the coach. So it actually is the most complex book I've written of all of all of them. Yeah, it sounds like that would be would be. Okay, let me ask you this: When you first introduce readers to the Phantoms of Rockwood, the mm-hmm. five characters that these Phantoms come back and they work through, are those? Do you do you present them to the readers first? those five humans, before the phantoms start influencing them, do you let them see the, those people before that happens so they can see the contrast, the difference? Yes, ma'am. You, you hit the nose of the head. They, they meet the five humans first. And they, okay. when they when, when, before the phantoms come back, the team is on a 30-game losing streak. And there's all kind of you know, racial things are said. It's, it's just a mess. And so you meet each, each individual human before. And then you meet the five ghosts, and I was able to weave that in. And then, because I wanted to make sure that I didn't want to get confusing, and then you meet the five ghosts as they, you know, uh, uh, developed, and then you see them as combo. And certain times they will separate, and you see the self, because I wanted the readers to see when they separated later in the book and come back, how they could do separate and come back. And you could see the identification. And the way I did it was I was able to use the words. Certain people was able to say certain things, the tone of a person, how they spoke, and that's the key thing. Can you use your words so that the reader can identify that person without you telling the reader who that is? So I was able to do that. And actually, when I go look at the back of the book, 
it was probably uh, it was a combination of all the books I put together, you know, all the techniques I've learned to put together. Because mm-hmm. I probably couldn't have written this book first. No way. No, no yeah, way. It, it sounds like it was. Yeah, it sounds like it was confusion. Yes. How how long were these the phantom athletes? Are they like the stars of the book, or are they humans, or is there an equal balance? Number one and number two. How long are these phantom athletes? How long are they gone since they passed away before they come back again? Right. That's a great question. Well, some of it, it, they, they were here for only one season, one six-month period of time, one basketball season, because they were given that much time, you know. Oh, okay. And, and they were given that much time. And they died at different times. Some died three years before, five years before, ten years before, oh, eight years okay. before, and one year before. So okay. it was different times, different places. And the, the, what united them was the fact they all played for this coach and knew this coach, and all are from this small town. That that that's okay. the thing that pulls everything together. Okay. And, okay. And and the thing about me being a coach, the the, the the basketball scenes are realistic. I mean, you know, people read it, say, "Wow, we were there. We we saw every shot, we saw every rebound, every pass, and the games at the end when they when they were going to win a championship, how they worked together, you know." Uh, you know, when, when, for example, when one of the, uh, when the, the ghost, the female girlfriend goes and the ghost in the, in the lunchroom, the typical high school lunchroom, and he looks at the other girl, all of a sudden he started twitching and jumping, now I won't tell him more, but if something happens, the reaction he has, <laughs> oh. let him know that, uh, that he won't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 insp- for, uh, two questions, can you, the first one, can you describe the personalities of the five humans? I know they're all athletes, but can you describe the different personalities? I'm sure they're all different of the five humans. Right. Uh, the number number one, one of them, the, the one, the first one is um, Foots Wilkins. He's athletic, and he's uh, sharp. He's smart. And he he can really 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 uh, grow, but also get on your nerves because he's athletic, and but but he doesn't really go in depth, and that's what he learned to go in depth with people and to listen to people, and that came out. Uh, the other one was JB, smart and intelligent, but nervous, nervous kind of person, and the other one was um, named Norris Nurse, and he was like the the, the nerdy one. Then Dan was a particular, he, he was a kid that he was shy. And then you had uh, Antoine, and Antoine was intelligent but lacked confidence in himself. And I was trying to bring out, I thought of a word, you know, like lack confidence, shy, nerdy, uh, athletic, something that made them different from each other. So the reader yes. could see that difference. And then mm-hmm. when I used words to describe them, now they knew when, when when I was talking about a certain certain player, that I was talking about a particular person, not just that one. You know, you know, it wasn't a combination. They were all different, and by putting those words together, I was able to pull that out and pull each one out, and the ghost that matched up with them helped them overcome. And they have the ghost too, because they have to go see, you know, what they you know what they liked, what they liked. And there's a little twist at the end too, but you know, I'll tell you that a little later in the, in the interview. Do are the are the people the phantoms? They're getting a second chance. They obviously wanted it, or they wouldn't come back for this one season. It sounds like they wanted to come back just to win a championship, but they're doing even more work than that. Did they realize they would do this other work before they came back, or did they just want the satisfaction of winning a championship? Number one, number two. Are there any of the phantoms, I know you say they learn as well, but do any mm-hmm. of them repeat the same mistakes they made the first time they were here? And here's why they didn't do it, because they saw their mistakes in these humans, and they saw the result of the mistake. And I said, it's a great question. So, no, they did not repeat because they learned. Uh. And they learned because they were in the same position that, uh, uh, you know, that, that they would not do this. 
and their goal was to come back and to help, 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 help these people achieve goals. Oh, now, okay. And now with the they Phantoms, didn't just that was, come back to win a championship. They mm-hmm. also won no, no, no. And oh, see, they came back. Okay. To, they matured also. See, the the, the ghosts matured also, and so they okay. learned things also. They learned things also. Um, what I did was I tried to create Denise a uh, atmosphere of, of of the of the ghost, you know, and I tried to make it so that the reader could feel. And if you don't mind, I'd love to read the, the, just the first paragraph that introduces this. Sure, sure. We'd love for you to. Okay. We'd love for you Here, to. This, this is Chapter 1. Five phantoms lurked invisibly in a tiny corner of the sky. On stormy evenings, they shed tears that added to the rain that splashed over the earth. Sometimes on the gym windows, rivulets of water streaked the clear glass panes like tears rolling down the cheeks of an unhappy child. Five marauders seeking athletic human hosts and a place for ghosts to take care of unfinished business, a state championship. They longed for a chance to bounce a basketball once more, to shoot a jump shot, or to make a steal again. They craved to feel the sweat and excitement that human beings feel as they run up and down the court. Should they play games in the airless environment that all athletic ghosts fluffled around in? But something was missing. The sweaty aroma of athletes and the noise of a cheering crowd filling a high school gym on a cold Friday night were essential elements. The phantoms missed human emotions the most. Five ghosts, young basketball players who died too early, too soon, and with unfinished business, wanting desperately the opportunity to return to life and the game. Wow, very good reading, very very good writing. So that's early on in the story, so the readers get the get, they can see what's the motive for these basketball these phantoms when they come back. That gives right. a very clear Why they came back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, want to ask you the next question. As a, as a, you, you're answering the questions, other questions are popping into my head that I didn't write oh, yeah, down oh, yeah, huh? when I was doing the research, but. Are the Phantoms paired up with an athlete whose personality is like their own or different from them? Uh, for example, when when um, Dan, who's the really shy one, now he's paired with a ghost who's very brash and confident. So when Dan would get on the floor, he would get nervous. Before the ghost came, he would be nervous. But now that he's on the floor... This ghost helps him become more confident by talking to him about what he could do, why how he get confidence, how he had to improve himself, and he he learned from the ghost that you know this confidence is a matter of going out, believing in yourself, believing in yourself, creating that self image. So you can see him develop from the moment before the ghost came, until the state championship game when he hits one of the critical shots to help win the game. You can see his whole personality changes. The way he deal with people, you know how he was not only he's not the one in school that walk around quiet and just try not to be noticed, but he became more outgoing. So, so you try to pair people. I tried to pair the ghost with qualities that could help accentuate, help, help, help that ghost, had the ghost and the person get better. Did who was there anybody behind the scenes, or was it just you as the writer? who chose that pairing, did the Phantom say, I want to be paired with this person, or was that just you, the writer, pulling those strings? No. The one the one ghost wanted definitely to be with the, the, the one that died, the one from Philly that died, the drug dealer. He wanted to be with the ghost, the, the, the young person who was getting in gangs and getting involved. And, oh, okay. And he wanted, to, he, he wanted him specifically because he wanted to show him something. Uh-huh. He wanted to show him... Because, you know, he was able to transform himself back to what happened when he died, what he looked like, and, and just show him this is what happens when you when you don't, you know, when you, when, when is, you don't do what you're supposed to. This is more a philosophical type question. Do you, we all have, and, and sometimes I look at the news and I'll hear stuff and I'll say this out loud or think this to myself. We have examples all around us every day of what happens if you start taking drugs. It does not go well in the end. never does. Unless you stop taking them, yeah, alcoholism, gambling, you name it. We have 
these ex- we have them all around us domestic violence you name it we have this stuff around us every day and yet we keep making the same mistakes it is it is the uh, from from wars wars have never solved anything and yet we is somebody always want to start a fight it's it's it is almost and i know we're intelligent beings i really do but it makes me scratch my head like even I mean, sometimes when I may do the same mistake over and over, it's like, what does it take for us to get it? So you have, we have all these examples of people right around us now, and we don't seem to be getting it. Don't get it. What gives the phantoms the influence what, so that the people can finally say, ah, the light comes on? Here's the thing that, that the phantoms showed the, the human beings, the critical point, that there are consequences when you don't do what you're supposed to be. I am the result of that consequence. My life was cut off at 16 when I should have been living to 76. I missed out on all these opportunities of things, you know, because they could see what they could have been doing, but now they would never do them and never achieve them because their life was cut short at a moment. And they're trying to get across to the human, if you don't do this, do you want to be like me where your life is cut short? Where your life is, you know, where your life is, is taken away. That you won't have the emotions, you won't have the experiences, you won't have the growth. And that's what the Spaniards were able to achieve when they came back. They could, they were given opportunities to see what they could have done and how they could have done, but also to feel again. And I think that's what we do. Is we don't see the consequences. They don't see the fact that you know that. Now we have a young man at school now, where I teach now, who you just see the path he's going down. They're starting right now. Because he does not, he does not have fear, and what happened was Denise, he he got in so much trouble, and then he went out, and this and he he killed a man, and the uh-huh. girl that saw it was going to testify against him, and he killed her, and and there was uh-huh. a kid he he just turned twenty, just turned Jeez. twenty, so what you see and that goes back to the point, extra point you made, we don't see the and we and what people living people went to him and told him, son, this is going to happen. Police officer, this is going to happen. These are the steps. Yeah. And he did every step. Now, with the phantoms, when, they, when this young man, so the other young man, he, these are the steps, but also let me show you the consequences. That's when he stepped back and he could see the real, his real phantom body. His real phantom mm. body, which was not pretty, because it had his head blew off. He mm. saw this is the result. <laughs> If when you don't follow the steps and the order that you're supposed to follow, so I think that's the difference. We don't see, they don't see it, and sometimes they, people don't want to recognize or don't want to accept the consequences that are there. Yeah, they, they do tell yourself, and then I think there's a big thing with, and it could be pride, and maybe just arrogance, or a combination where we tell ourselves, yeah, that person started smoking and they got addicted to it. But that won't happen to me. Yeah, that yeah. person got into bad relationships and got hurt, but that won't happen to me. Yeah, that person, but that won't happen to me. And that's dangerous because then you end up repeating what's already been done. There, people are dead that you repeat again, and that's what happens. See, now we so I'm so I'm smarter than that. I ain't gonna happen to me because I'm smarter than that. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. I can show you the, how how the smartness got you. How the smartness got you. You know. Yeah, and um, so. Go ahead. You know, I was just going to say that, that, that that's how they get you. That's how their smartness gets you, because you think you can and you really can't. Yes. Did your book, you from know. that perspective, and I know the entertainment perspective, is a strong, strong message. It's almost like how many examples, we have them all around us, and yet there's something in the mind that says, I know that's the path those other one billion people happen to them, but it's not going to happen to me. <laughs> It's, it's, but I'm not going to do it. I'm looking arrogance. Away. Total arrogance. Total arrogance. Total yeah, arrogance. It, it, it influences everybody else that way, but not you. Do you think that, Julius, do you think we all get a second chance at something as big as life? I think we do, Denise. I think that the people, but here's the problem. I think people get that second chance. But because of their arrogance, they don't recognize the second chance when it's right in front of them because it won't be what they think it is. It'll be totally different. 
Because when blessings come sometimes, it's not what you expect. It's a totally different blessing that you never thought you never thought about. And I don't think I don't think people can recognize when that when that blessing come, or recognize when that changes come. And the ones that do are the ones you see on TV. Well, I went through this and I changed. You know, I was a total drug addict, and now I realize, and I realize I can't do this. I can't do this. I won't be here. I think that's the key, the recognition of what that new opportunity is. And I think that's the critical point. We don't recognize that opportunity. But I think there are second chances. We just don't recognize them. Mm. Talking about, and, and the, your, the book is becoming increasingly fascinating and interesting. You can take a story, and it looks like it's just dealing with, you know, the, the basketball, the sports angle, your former sports journalist, et cetera. But then when you start really talking about it and getting into the story, you can see how impactful and influential a story can be from several different angles. That said, Julius, what do you hope that readers will take away from reading Phantoms of Rockwood? What I want readers to take away is that no matter what the situation, no matter how, how bad the outlook, you have an opportunity to be successful. You have an opportunity to improve yourself, but you must go forward. And you never look in the past. Do not look back. Because, like, you know, like Satchel Page said, if you look back, something's chasing you, something will catch you. You never look back. You keep mm-hmm. going forward. And when you read Families of Rockwood, I want you to come away with, wow, these kids had a chance, but for some reason they didn't take advantage of it. And look what happened to them. But now they can come back and help. Also, I think people have become more, more like philanthropy. You want to help. You want to give. And that's my thing in this book. is It's a giving book. They're giving of themselves. They're giving of their experiences. They're giving of their attitudes. They're giving their work ethic. They're giving of their emotions. Because they want to learn to give. We must become more of a giving people. And as it, and I try to bring it out as an educator and as a writer and author, I want you to give, to give. Like in Stormy Winds, the next book, you want to give, to give. And I think we, as we become more giving, I, a lot of my things go back to when I grew up in the, in, the, in the black neighborhoods, it was a caring kind of atmosphere. People cared for you. People mm-hmm. looked out for you. And I want to bring that back that you, we must get back to that point in the black community where we will give, we will help, we will push each other up and not pull each other down, which I see too much of now, you know, as I look, you know, as I look around at different cities and different places. Yeah, things have changed even since I was a kid. And then when my grandparents were young, it was even more community-based. How we got here, uh, I can remember in the 1970s seeing, you know, books and things about it was the, 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 the main focus now was me, you know, yourself, was look out for yourself, looking out for number one. Not to say that we shouldn't look out for ourselves, but communities were stronger when people, they also cared about, and I mean really cared about each other, the kids in the community. And I, Having said that, though, back then, as, as strong as our community seemed, there were a lot of things that people hid, people hid incest, yes. people hid yes. domestic violence. And that, that now that people don't hide that stuff as much, which is good, but back then we thought it probably was better than it was because we put up a, a facade. <laughs> and I know, so you're that, correct. That, so in some ways it's better now in some ways. The sense of community is not as strong, but people don't hide stuff the way they used to, and that's. No. I think that's good. I, I think it's good, good, good thing. too. It's a good thing, too. Now, you know, I, I learned that from my mother, you know, because she said, you know, you, you've got to keep going. She, she always told me, she said, she, she said, Julia, she said, you always aim for the berries on the highest breath because they get the most sun and they're the sweetest of one. So when you see something in life, you got to grab for it, you got to reach for it. And that's why she left Georgia. Now, you know, she taught me a lot of strength. You know, you just don't stay in a situation when you realize, you know, it will, it will mm-hmm. eventually destroy you. Because a lot right. of people she knew had been destroyed because of their very reason, physically and mentally mm-hmm. and emotionally. And she didn't mm-hmm. want that for her. She didn't want that for her children. Cause she She's wanted, a smart you know, lady. A smart lady. She's, She's smart. a very smart, smart lady. <laughs> now, if Stormy wins, now, I want to talk about Philly style and Philly profile. But is mm-hmm. Stormy Wind, some of your books are carryovers or continuations from a previous
previous books, is Stormy Winds that you're working on now, that you're targeting the release next year. Is it a continuation of The Phantoms of Rockwood, or is it an entirely different story? It's an entirely different story, Denise. Um, what it is, is, is um, the setting, and you're going to love it, is back in Philadelphia. And it's about okay. a sports writer named, yeah, back in Philly. It's, okay. It's a, it's a, it's explores Justin Fleming's, it's, and the character's name is Justin Fleming, and it perseveres over destructive themes and events in our lives. And what it's about is when you know that it's like um, when things go wrong, it's like a wind blowing and blow you off course. And sometimes the winds blow you off, blow you off course, and blow you back on course. And situations can blow you off your track of direction you want to go, or they can blow you back on your track of what you want to go. And uh, what it is is how people adjust. How people do you going to fight, and you know, and become stronger, or do you going to falter? Um, you know, are you going to falter. And so what Stormy Winds is about, it's like when things go really, really bad, and it goes back to points we talked about in this conversation, are you going to let it bring you down? Are you going to let it destroy you? Or are you going to become stronger? So Stormy Winds is, 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 is about all the changes in the life, and it's, it's going to take this character through, you know, 10 to 15 years of over, overcoming or not overcoming or fearing. And it's more about fear and hope and making choices good choices bad choices some choices he make are good and some choices he makes are bad and 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 so i think what it will tell is uh do we stand up and fight or do we fold like an accordion and just mm-hmm. give up and i think you know when people lot- reach stormy winds they're going to see the development of my philosophy all throughout, from brownstone straight through stormy winds, how things changes. The book, like the first three books, are all connected. The family Rockwood is not is not uh, connected to any of them, and neither is stormy winds. Okay, yeah, I because I know from the previous interviews that the other three. That's why I was wondering if it was a continuation. So it's a, it's an entirely different book. Just curious, you, you're expecting the book to be released next year. What does Justin? What does he do? What does he do for? Uh, what's his career? What's his occupation? He's in Philadelphia. Is was he? Is he? Is he originally from Philadelphia? How old is he? What time is the book set in? The seventies, the eighties, current time? And what does he do for a living? The book is set in the seven in the seventies, and uh, he is about thirty thirty five years old from Philadelphia, and he worked for a newspaper. He's a newspaper reporter. And he was laid off. And now he was frustrated because by being laid off, his career goals and his expectations of people around him were so high, now he started to falter. So instead of being a newspaper reporter, now he works in telemarketing, answering phones, answering phones. So he's gone from being the toast of Philadelphia to now where he's just like an ordinary person catching the, you know, the Market Street L going going to work every day. And now, wow. you know, and the frustrations are coming up higher. And, you know, it comes close to us. Should he stay? Should he stay? Should he live? Should he get rid of it? Should he, should he just say this is over with? Should he use drugs? You know, what kind of career wow. can he get into now? So those stormy winds are attacking him and, you know, and they're really going after him. And yeah, he's he's he... young, he's smart, but the problem is now is, is he going to use that to, to get out of this situation? Or he's going to use it just to say that's it. I can't do it no more. Wow. Now, now, you you always show the development, as you mentioned, of your characters, which is to me the mark of a great writer. When you start sitting down to write, particularly when you started writing Philly style and Philly profile, was that your intent to have the characters evolve? Or like you said earlier, you used to write chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. Now you do chapter one, maybe chapter thirty, et cetera. Is that something that just happened organically on its own, where you started focusing on the 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 characters, not only creating three dimensional characters, but having them really evolve tremendously as the story unfolds? Was that always your intent, or is that something that just happened over time? Great question, Nisha. What I it, it was my intent. I like characters who are interesting, and I did not want to create boring characters. I want to put 
people in situations where they had to change. To me, conflict in a novel comes, that's the key. When will that conflict come? When that conflict comes, and the reader wants to know, how will that character react? Well, I want to create characters, number one, who've fallen down, who are hurt. Now, you may be a policeman, and because you didn't protect somebody or fireman, people died. But the next time mm. a situation similar happens, how will you react? Will you stand up and, and, and be the, who you are? And now instead of three people dying, you save 5,000 people. So I want to put characters in a situation where they're challenged and where they can fail. What, 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 and to me, the interesting about the reader is the character can fail, and the reader don't know that. That's why the reader keeps turning the page to see, will that character keep growing? Will that character grow? Will that character fail? And he may fail again, he may fail again, and then all of a sudden he may change. But I like a character to evolve. I, I'm more of a positive person. I want to see people use situations who are negative that push them into a very positive situation. So the great question, I, you know, to me, and my characters have really grown over the years. And I could almost see a character to now, when I write a book, Denise, I could tell by midway of the book if that character is going to be strong or not. Because I have some manuscripts I don't use because the character just don't develop. I may, because I'm maybe not ready to write it yet, I just mm-hmm. put it back and start something else. I mean, maybe it's not ready to come out yet. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it, 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 it's, it's a situation that is not ready for me to, I don't have the approach to write it yet. So when I write about a character, I want to really, really get into that. I want their reader to know that character as if they're standing there with that person next to them. And to wow. me, that is to me, that to me is a sign of a, of a good writer who can make that reader want to have emotions toward that character, good, bad, and, you know, good or bad, never indifferent, good or bad, right. like or dislike. Right. And you, you, if they like, they really like. If they don't like, they really not liking that. <laughs> yeah. we, we're coming down to our off-the-shelf listeners to less than 10 minutes in today's interview. We're having the pleasure of speaking with Julius Thompson. He's a former newspaper sports journalist, and he's the author of the books Philly Style and Philly Profile, A Brownstone in Brooklyn, Ghost of Atlanta, and Phantoms of Rock, which, which is his new book out now, and he's also working on a book, Stormy Winds, that he yes. hopes to have out uh, next year. He's online at jethompsonnovels.com, J-E-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N-N-O-V-E-L-S.com, jethompsonnovels.com, and you can go there and learn more about his books and his work there. I know that you also... Uh, you also teach writing, and I've only got a few more minutes to work with, but you also teach the art of writing to other people. Can you tell our listeners where are some of the places that you've taught writing, and if any off-the-shelf listeners wanted to sign up to attend any of your classes, how could they do so? Yes, I teach. I taught writing for 10 years, creative writing and publishing for 10 years at evening at Emory University in, in Atlanta. Wow. Yes, that is impressive. I don't say it anymore. What I do now, Denise, is, is and I've got private sessions now with the right people, and I get three or four people, and we meet at a Starbucks or we meet at a bookstore, and I set up sessions. When I get enough people that want to take class, then I put the class together, and the class usually will last about 15 sessions. And we break the whole process of writing down from the beginning and the middle and the ending, like the first four or five sessions, only on how to write the middle, what you, how to write the beginning of a book. What's to be expected? The introduction, you know, the character development, the setting, the plot, etc. And the, to me, the critical part of any book is the middle part. That's that's the part you got to get out the mud. Because if you don't, I've seen a lot of great, a lot of books get stuck in the mud and never develop. And how to when and how to end the book. So we spent about 15 sessions on it. So if anyone interested, you know, I'd be love to have another class. Once I get th- two or three people, then we set the class up. And then you know, and the class lasts about an hour and a half each. Now this is in person, right? In person, face to face. Okay, so and then somebody wanted to sign up. How would they sign up if they did? They, I want to tell you they, they go to my, they go to my website, and you you see a comment section. You can leave your name. And you can email me and give give me all the information, and we can talk and set it up, exchange phone numbers, and you know and really you know decide how you want to do it. And I've done it all over the Atlanta area, all over the area, from one in Atlanta oh, okay. to the other. Emory University, that's impressive. Are there any other places where you've taught writing, any certifications that you have or other experience so people will know you're not only being a novelist, 
former sports journalist, but you really are qualified to teach these courses. Right, and, and that's why I got I, I got my degree. My, my degree is in writing. Is in writing from City College of New York, and that's okay. my degree. Yeah, I guess my degree is in writing, and I did some master's work in writing, and but mainly it's experience and teaching at Emory. They gave me okay. you know, because I was an instructor. They gave me instructor oh, status okay. in, in the evening, yes, because of the experience I had, you know, and and because uh, and like, they do that, you know, like uh, when they feel that you, you know, you have a lot of, you know, a lot of knowledge that you can give back, a personal experience and, you know, and professional experience of writing and going through the whole process. You better believe it, because Emory is a very respected school. Now, writing yes. and publishing a book, I have to get this in before we close with just a few minutes left. Writing and publishing a book is the first step. Yes. Then you have to actually sell the book. Can you share some marketing tips that have actually worked for you, not ones you've heard other people say and we're parroting something, but you've seen it actually produce results for you. Can you share a few book marketing tips yes. with our off-the-shelf listeners? Yeah, I love to. to not, the main thing, for example, you know, Stormy Winds is coming out in March of 2015. Well, in March of 2014, I built a website dedicated to Stormy Winds. You got to go almost a year ahead before the book comes out. And uh, uh, the, the from what I've written and from my synopsis, the, I have a cover artist named Kelly Dennis out of uh, out of England. She did a great job. And to go to my website, you see the cover. The cover's already up. And okay. you start to market. You got to market now. You cannot wait. Yeah. And as you said, March 2015. And Dennis DeRose, my editor, did a fantastic job. And so, and he's going as I write because the first draft will get to him in November. He had, okay. And then I do the rewrite for you know for March. But the key thing, you got to start ahead. You got to yeah. create a platform. You got to create a, a, a platform, which means you must dedicate at least. 30 minutes a day on the Internet where you use Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, you know, you know, and all, all of it. And what I do, the main thing is something I learned from John Kramer is called uh, the rule of five. I do five things every day to market the book. It's from putting uh, on the side of my car, I have one of those little name plates with the books on it, to go mm-hmm. stopping at Kroger in line. And last week, and, and to me, if you have a book festival in your area, you have to be a writer. Go there and become a volunteer, yeah. and ah. you will meet people and make contact. Doc, I told you I was at the AJCDK Book Festival last week. Well, then mm-hmm. I was there. I'm, now I'm stage captain, which means I'm at the biggest site where they give at least six, 700 every session. There was eight, six sessions on um, last Saturday. I met six different New York Times best-selling authors, made contacts, exchanged information, and word of mouth spread. I met Pat Conroy, Prince of Tide. We spent like 10 minutes just talking, learning each other. He told me, in fact, he took Ghost of Atlanta with him. He wanted to read it. Okay. So that's what you got to do. So tell your readers, they've got to get out. So, if you know, I know Philadelphia has a book fair. Don't have to go there being a writer. Go there and be a volunteer. Meet people. Make contact. Get business cards. Make sure they have business cards. When you meet anybody, give it talk, give it out. You know, always be ready and open to talk about your book. It's it's a it's a process. It's not not it's, it's not a science. It's a process. And as you build up more and more and more, you meet more people. Then now, people know who you are, who who you are, what you are about, and they get to know you as a person. And now they they help you out a lot. You know, uh-huh. and 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 this whole weekend, that whole weekend, I I gave out five hundred uh, postcards close to 250 business cards, about 50 to 70 packages, and made contacts for the whole weekend with authors from 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 here to Australia. Wow. So when they leave, they got information like boom, boom, all over the whole world. So tell them they, they, read, they have to get out and they have to market themselves. They have to yes, market themselves. Yes. And to, to keep, another thing to take, to, I want to tell the listener is to, number one, keep writing Keep believing and never, ever, ever give up on yourself. Wow. Where can listeners get copies of your books? Can they get them at your website, and, Amazon, if you could just tell us really, really Amazon. And another quick thing, Ghost of Atlanta, I meant to tell you this, broke the barrier. It's now on the bookshelves of Barnes & Noble's bookstores. Yay! <laughs> broke the barrier. But, you know, anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble's, uh, all the books out there. 
in any Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, any online bookstore, or any bookstore okay. would have those books. And also in we Philadelphia, and Philadelphia, Denise, Philly Style City huh? Profile is in every library in Philadelphia. Oh, congratulations. Every library. We have had the every pleasure, library. and we're we, we running out of time, you guys. I could keep going on. We've had the <laughs> pleasure of speaking with Julius Thompson. He's the author of the books Philly Style and Philly Profile, A Brownstone in Brooklyn, The Ghost of Atlanta, Phantoms of Rockwood, his new book, Stormy Winds, is slated to be out in 2015. He's a former newspaper sports journalist. I really got a lot of his good work done on that angle in the city of Philadelphia. He's online at jethompsonnovels.com, and that's J-E-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N-N-O-V-E-L-S.com. We are all out of time. I want to thank all of you, all of you for tuning in to Off the Shelf. You can listen to the interview if you only came in late or midway through it. You can listen to it entirely in the archives after it finishes streaming, and it will be up here at Off the Shelf on Blog Talk Radio. Please tell your family, your friends, your colleagues, everybody, tune in to Off the Shelf Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City time if you're dialing in from other parts of the world. You can connect through the chat room. You can connect over the phone. You can connect over just through the Internet, through, through a link to the, to the, to the off-the-shelf show. Thank you to Julius, and uh, best, best wishes to you. I see how you keep doing new things. So very inspiring, and I'm really, really pulling for you. To everybody, as I always tell you, you are amazing. You are fabulous. Man, will your life change when you really start to believe that and grab a hold of that. Go out and create a wonderful day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday. Bye for now. Julius, I'll shoot you an email. Uh-huh.